Saluton, Rita. <laughs> Hello. Saluton. <laughs> so just by saying hi, it should be pretty clear that today we are going to talk about another language, one that we haven't talked about so far, and it's not a natural language. What is that language? Esperanto. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the idea behind this uh, episode is not to, uh, you know, have a language profile episode just about Esperanto. It's just a small introduction about uh, the world of constructed languages. Mm -hmm. And among them, one of the first and one of the most popular and most spoken uh, around the world is uh, Esperanto. Indeed, hopefully in the future we are going to have more episodes about this uh, language. I'm not sure we are going to be able to find native speakers, but, you know, actual speakers of the language. <laughs> Actually, I think in the world there are like 200, about 200 native speakers of Esperanto, but we have a very good friend in our network that is able to speak it and that has made a video recently about it. So, yeah, we can have a, a guest. Mario from Easy Dutch, uh, he also participated in the first Easy Esperanto video, which we are going to link in the show notes. So I'm sure we'll have Mario with us in the future, and mm -hmm. we are also going to cover this language. But as I mentioned, um, it's not just about Esperanto. For today, uh, what we have is a couple of sections. And in section number one, we are going to introduce you to the world of constructed languages, especially Esperanto. We are going to have a little bit of an overview of the language. But we are also going to uh, discuss uh, the controversial aspects of this language and share our opinion. Mm. Then we also have a section number two. What's that about, Rita? Well, in this second section, we're going to answer two questions we received from our followers, uh, Joanna and Anna. And yeah. We're going to give them some advice and some tips. We love getting questions and we love answering them. So keep them coming. You can do that by going to our website, easy-languages.org slash podcast. And you will find a plugin there to send the voice a message. We'll be happy to answer. But time for us to start with section number one. Let's do it. So, Raf, what are constructed languages? Well, it's uh, pretty self-explanatory. It means a language that did not develop naturally, but one that was actually constructed, one that was made by human. And I know that all languages are, you know, human-made uh, mm -hmm. in a way, but these languages are languages where there is some people that sit down at the table and decide, I'm going to create a language wow. um, with a specific purpose in mind. All right. And can they be like broadly divided into different categories or something? Um, yeah. I, if we look back at the history of constructed languages, we see that in the past, the idea was to kind of provide the universal language for everyone in the world. So there's been people in the past who wanted to provide that and uh, they invented new languages, mostly by mixing existing languages. Mm -hmm. uh, so these languages, we can call them like philosophical constructed languages. But then things changed a little bit. Are you talking about referring to the pop culture, maybe? <laughs> Absolutely, because in recent times, uh, there was this uh, great idea to combine, you know, creating new worlds, but also creating languages for this new world. And I'm referring to the fantasy world, even uh, Tolkien with his uh, 
Lord of the Rings. He created a whole lot of languages, not just one, the Elvish languages. Mm -hmm. um, but if you think about TV series or movies like Star Trek, Avatar, Game of Thrones, they have all created languages. For example, Avatar as Navi. Mm -hmm. Game of Thrones as Dothraki, among others. And Valerian, yeah. You see, it's a way to give a more uh, layered structure uh, when you create a new world. So this, there was this witch going from philosophical uh, to artistic. Wow. But I have a little question. I mean, I, I know that language is, at, like, is set to, be, to have existed for like tens, maybe a thousand of years, right? Um, and like written language, it was maybe around 3,000-ish uh, years before like BC. Um, but like you said, it's like a, conlangs are quite recent, right? Um, but there were some kind of um, engineered uh, languages that have been created maybe around like the 16th century um, in terms like philosophical languages or... Uh, like there is one I found that is um, uh, called a lingua ignata, or like unknown language developed by a nun in the 12th century. And there is another one in the 16th century, which is the oldest recorded um, um, uh, constructed language outside of Europe. And I found it really fascinating because I really ignored all that. And both of them actually were um, more used by mystic people mm. uh, to get kind of get closer to God. And then we see like the evolution with, of course, Tolkien and all the other creators for TV shows with different languages that we know, like Klingon and Star Trek, etc. So I find it really, really interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. The, the, the wish, you know, for just one language to be used for, throughout the world has always been there in a way. But just recently, in the last couple of centuries, people really had the time, you know, and... Uh, uh, knowledge to create uh, new languages. One example that comes to my mind on the other side is Latino Cine Flexione, mm -hmm. which is my dream as a student. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because as a student, we had to study Latin and, you know, with all the cases, genders, declensions, <laughs> conjugations, and so on, Latino Cine Flexione is basically Latin without all the difficult parts. <laughs> <And> the dream. <laughs> yeah. We are covering, you know, the, the languages that have a structure and a specific purpose. And it is exactly what happened with Esperanto. What do you know about Esperanto, Rita? Well, I know that it has been created in the late 19th century by Dr. Zamenhof, a Polish uh, doctor, um, who tried, if I understand well, to use a language that is a bit more neutral in his terms, uh, meaning to avoid like um, the hegemony of one language uh, over another, especially English, um, and to be able to communicate in an easy way, a language that will be easy to learn. Um, yeah, basically, that's what I know about it. And I know that there are a few fans all over the world. <laughs> I would say quite a few it's uh, the most popular constructed uh, language. And the idea behind it is very noble, isn't it? It was born with the idea of uh, giving the world the universal language and to unify, unite the world. Uh, the idea was to have a, a world without war. What about the grammar structure and everything related to the language itself, how it's constructed? Esperanto was born and still has a very simple grammar structure. Let me tell you, it has 16 basic rules with no exceptions. What do you think about that? What's not to love about that? Well, personally, I don't, I don't, I find it beautiful when the language is complex. It has lived, it has, you know, made 
the the um like it it, it went through fire <laughs> and all of the other elements i feel like yeah i mean it's good if other people are happy because it's easier but i don't learn languages because they are easy i learn them because i'm passionate about them and i love difficulty sometimes <laughs> yeah the fascination of languages i think we mentioned this in our previous episode the, the fascination and the beauty of a language also derives from its complexities and its very specific patterns. But in a way, I wish, for example, that Russian had just 16 rules that I would read, <laughs> learn, and I know gra Russian grammar. It's going to be a lot harder than that. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's very cool to have something like that. And it makes it also very easy for people to pick up. And this contrasts a little bit uh, with uh, those artistic languages that they were created for books or media, uh, like, I don't know, Klingon, Dothraki, Navi. These languages tend to be a little bit more complex when it comes to grammar, mm -hmm. but they also have to be very simple to pronounce because at the end of the day, actors have to mm -hmm. uh, use those languages when, you know, acting, <laughs> when yeah. shooting the scenes. <laughs> but what about Esperanto's vocabulary? Where is it coming from? It's mostly derived from Romans, Germanic, and Slavic uh, languages. So if you speak one of mm, the languages from these families, you already have a head start. And we we're talking about most of Europe here. Mm -hmm. So this is already, you know, one of the aspects that we will discuss later. It's mostly an Eurocentric uh, language. I would like to use, you know, a few phrases to for us to go through so that we can understand a little bit how Esperanto works. Mm -hmm. There's Tim Ferriss, uh, a very famous entrepreneur and lifestyle guru, and he has these uh, uh, 13 sentences that deconstruct the language. Mm. And I'm, I would like to use just a few uh, very basic sentences for us to understand uh, how Esperanto works. Mm. Should we go through those Let's phrases? Let's do that, yeah. So the apple is red in Esperanto is la pomo estas ruja. <laughs> and you're a French speaker. Don't tell me you don't understand that. Of course I do, but it's just, it sounds funny. <laughs> it sounds a little bit like Italian and Spanish, but with French vocabulary. Yeah, it sounds like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it sounds like a Span Spanish or Italian speaker who doesn't speak French, who's trying to sound French. La pomo es ruja, es ruja. <laughs> <laughs> so how how to say it is John's apple? Uh, it is John's apple. It's uh, G estas la pomo de Joano. Very well. So we see <laughs> that in these cases, there are no cases. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, so, but, <laughs> but they use prepositions. Mm -hmm. But for example, I give John the apple. Mi donas al Johano la pomon. And mm. this is interesting uh, because we we see again the prepositions. Uh, but we see an N that wasn't there, like pomon with an it, N at the end. Ah, so it's maybe defin definite or like to define definite article, la pomon? No, this means that it's the accusative case. So Esperanto does have a case. Mm. Esperanto does not have genders, does not have conjugations. Uh, of course, you can express uh, time, uh, past, present, and future, but you do not uh, conjugate a verb depending on the person who speaks. So, mi estas, uh, gi estas, you see? Mm. La pomo estas. <laughs> uh, but, but it has, you have to add N at the end of nouns, and nouns, by the way, always end in O, mm -hmm. but you add an N when it's a direct object, when it's the oh. accusative case. So, in mm -hmm. this case, I give 
the apple to John, mm-hmm. to him. So, mi donas la pomo, n, with an N at the end. Mm, very clear. So, I, I thought it was actually easier. When you construct the language, I don't expect you know, the accusative case to be there. Yeah, of course. And But I, I feel like also, I mean, we will be talking about it a bit more later. I'm not saying that it's a very difficult concept, not at all. But I feel like it's really pretty clear to us because we know what accusative is and how it works. I'm just, you know, kind of thinking of somebody who doesn't speak any Romance languages or has no understanding of cases in general, like either like Slavic or whatever languages, if it would be something very straightforward. But I think it's nice. It's not so easy then. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. And the UCI, for example, even the vocabulary, if I'm not a French native speaker or mm-hmm. if I do not speak French, I would lose a part Uh, I would miss part of that vocabulary. So it's not so easy. It's not that you read and understand, but we'll test ourselves later, (laughs) maybe in our after show to see how much Esperanto we can understand without studying anything uh, of that language. But, uh, you know, just to wrap up a little bit of the overview of the Esperanto language, I would say that it's uh, spoken by a small but very active and passionate community. Mm -hmm. So there are congresses all around the world. In every country there is one, and there's also a world congress Mm -hmm. for Esperanto. So enthusiasts of this uh, language meet all around the world and share their love for this language. And this is, you know, something that I really like about this. Yes, and I mean, I'm I'm just fascinated knowing that there are some parents that decided to Uh, raise their children uh, with Esperanto as a native language. And yeah, I can only applaud that. But there are also controversial aspects. We've touched one already, Mm -hmm. and I said that it's Eurocentric. What do you think about this? I totally agree. I think that's why when I was talking about the creator, I said, uh, according to his own words, is neutral. I don't think it's neutral. Of course, it's very difficult to have like 100% neutral language, besides if we invent it completely, like maybe some of the languages we talked about uh, in those shows. Um, but like, you know, 80-ish percent of the vocabulary is Romance language based and like the roots and then the rest is Slavic or German. And I feel like it's, yeah, it's around like European. Some of them, I mean, I read a lot of articles where they say, yeah, but there is like a lot of agglutinative, like in Asian languages or whatever. I'm like, yeah, it's also similar to German kind of the way it works from what I understand. So yeah, it's kind of so like always basically around Europe. So it for a language who like who's intended or was intended to bring people together and be the lingua franca, like the new lingua franca for all the whole world, I feel like the whole world is again Europe and that's not true, you know? Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree with that. We also have to think that uh, this language was created two centuries ago. And the view of the world was a very Eurocentric one. We've moved forward from then. And so in in theory, we would need uh, a universal language that covers, you know, all continents, at least most cultures, the most spoken languages in the world. But what we'd uh, come up with, we would have, you know, a kind of a Frankenstein language. And I don't think it does the very beautiful languages that we already have in the world justice, right? Yeah. And also, I mean, I feel like I understand the purpose of wanting to bring people together while speaking one language. But personally, my opinion is it's not because people speak one language that will be like able to, 
you know, avoid wars or whatever. I feel like it's to the contrary. I would love for people to work towards learning other people's languages, their own culture, their own identity, their own specificities, which make the difference, like makes us richer and and a more open mind. Like I love the fact that we have different perspectives, different ways of expressing things. I feel like it makes it poorer. That's my own like opinion. And I feel like if we would like to get to peace, it's like, We have to work on being more tolerant and accepting the other instead of just trying to be alike. I love it. We we probably don't need a one universal language. We just need to learn each other's languages. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I, <laughs> I mean, of I course you agree. I mean, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't the case, right? <laughs> you're right. You're right. There is also the controversial aspect related to the fact that some people say that learning Esperanto is your first uh, foreign language. Uh, helps you in learning more and more. So it gives you a head start when you have to learn more languages. Uh, what do you think about this instead? I mean, we already struggling with finding time to learn things we love. <laughs> I think it will be better to focus on languages that are existing, that are related to actual cultures and trying to learn them and see how to make it happen for us and make it easier or even at least enjoyable, if if not easier. I find also the fact that we want to make things easy all the time, fast and easy, not a good, you know, goal for me. I think um, the beauty, as we said, in all the languages are their complexities, but also like the journey is more enjoyable when we are, you know, when step by step we are able to solve those little problems and we can feel prouder of ourselves and we kind of grow as human beings. Like that's my opinion. So I've, find it i'm not against it that means if you're interested and you feel like you want to learn that it's fine but i don't think that is objectively right to say that you're gaining some time yeah and i would say that uh it doesn't matter what's your first foreign language if you learn that it will probably open a world of new languages that will be easier for you to learn i think uh, at the end of our uh, previous episode we well i said Uh, that the most difficult language is the first one that you have mm -hmm. to learn because you don't know how to do that. Once you have done that, it doesn't matter if it's Esperanto, Italian, French, or any other language. Once you've done that, you have succeeded in learning your first foreign language. Any other language will be easier for you. So I do not think that these results are a direct consequence of studying Esperanto specifically, but just studying like a, a second, second language, language in general. Or Exactly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand. I agree with you. Yeah, but I mean, what you said, what I get as a conclusion from what you said, and I like that a lot, is that if you would love to learn Esperanto and you're passionate about it, go for it. But I mean, it shouldn't be like something that people say, okay, I need to learn Esperanto in order to be able to learn other languages or easily, because that's not true in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I pretty much share your view on Esperanto specifically and on, uh, you know, artificial languages in general. Now, I do not like fantasy, for example, fantasy books or fantasy movies, because I Ooh. like, you know, history books. <laughs> so the world is full of so many things that have happened in the past and mm -hmm. of so many languages that I, I'd rather study those stories, those languages, rather than artificial ones. But having said that, any learner should do what it's interesting for them. So if you find interest in a new language, in an artificial language, go for it. I mean, there are people who watch, you know, Lord of, Lord of the Rings and they go full mm -hmm. on, you know, Valkyrian. <laughs> no, Valkyrian mm -hmm. is Game no. of Thrones. Yeah. But Elvish languages. Kenya or Elvish, yeah. 
Yeah, so that's, uh, if you enjoy what you do, don't let anyone stop you, not even Rafael and Rita. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> and I actually have a favorite constructed language. It's Tokipona, oh. a language which is based on just 120 words, so very minimalistic. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll talk about that in one of our future episodes. Uh, I would love that. <laughs> Time for our Q&As. Well, we received um, two messages and I would love to answer the first one. Uh, the message was from Anna from Hungary and we're going to be listening to it first. Bonjour, Rita. Ciao, Raffaele. I'm Anna from Hungary and I have a question for you today. I was just listening to your New Year's episode on the podcast and I think it's super impressive that you both speak so many languages. Um, to me, it's always been a problem that whenever I started learning a new language, I kind of neglected the other ones. I felt like I lost a lot. I forgot a lot uh, from the languages that I had known before. So I was wondering if you have any good advice for that. How do you balance all the languages that you know and that you have learned in the past? Thank you for your answer in advance. And also thank you for your great podcast episodes. I think it's really useful and really interesting what you do as a fellow language lover. So keep up the good work. Thank you, Anna, for the nice words. Rita, what do you say? Any advice for Anna? Yeah, I mean, first of all, thanks a lot again for your kind words and for your support. Um, I think that what is the most important thing to do Um, is to give those languages different identity, I mean, separate identities. And you can do that in different ways. You can find the one that works for you. One example would be, I don't know, if you're studying all of them at the same time to give like color, like color coding, um, like let's say you're learning Spanish, you want to use everything in red. I don't know, some people feel like it's easier, but you can find other ways to do that. A second one is to be like journaling, for for example. I love that. I, I need to take the time to write about my thoughts and, and you know, um, get out some struggles that I have during the week or, you know, some people like to meditate. I love to do that. But so, well, I think it's a good way to do it in the language, uh, the different languages you are studying. Um, you can also um, associate each language with different routine, which means that, let's say you're doing some sports sometimes, like yoga, and you watch some videos in yoga, try to do it in one of the languages you're learning and try to schedule your week or your month around with different activities in each language. And each month you kind of change the schedule so that you can feel like you're trying to do different also things in those different languages. You have to live those languages. And the, the one, like one of the advice that a lot of people give, and I love this technique, but again, it depends on the languages we're talking about and the resources that are available, is the laddering technique, which means that if you're learning Spanish and you feel like you got it to a level that is kind of a B1, B2, and you feel comfortable enough and you want to learn, let's say, Chinese, let's try to use books and resources that are in Spanish to learn that target language. Yeah, I mean, there are so many other advice I could give, but honestly, the the priority for you is to feel like if you need to focus on one language and if you feel like a few of them are kind of, you're losing a bit um, your, like, your level, it's fine. Don't panic. Just keep on doing and trying to do things. Keep on watching social media. Keep on having talks with people. Keep on watching series and doing things from time to time in those languages. Well said, Rita. And I love getting questions from our listeners. Uh, we have another one, this time from uh, Joanna. Yeah, let's listen to it. 
Hello, I've got a question. Um, it's a result of listening to your Welsh episode because my grandmother was Welsh and I can do a good impression of her and now I'd like to learn Welsh. Do you think it's a good idea to mimic the accent of a person who speaks the language that you're learning or do you think it would make the speaker sound like a lunatic? If it's not mockery, could it be useful in terms of clear pronunciation and being understood? Have you ever done this? Have you ever mimicked an accent? Thank you for your help. Bye. Joanna, thank you too for your message. And that's a very interesting uh, question. Uh, I see mm -hmm. two aspects to your question, language learning and uh, accent. Uh, now, if you want to learn Welsh in your case, uh, it's a great idea to, kind of, to mimic, to have you know, a model that you can learn your uh, pronunciation on. Uh, so definitely do that. It's a great idea. There's are, there are also techniques. One of them is called shadowing, where you listen to somebody speak in your earphones, maybe, and you try and repeat what you hear immediately after that. This will uh, ideally help you uh, kind of get pretty much the same pronunciation that you're listening to. And it is a good idea. The other one is accent. Uh, so I'm not sure if here you're talking about uh, speaking English with a Welsh accent. Um, but even in that case, uh, I think you can do that. I love picking up accents. I'm not very good at it, uh, but I love having these multiple you know, personalities. Um, uh, I, when I moved to the UK for just a couple of months, Uh, I came back to Italy and uh, friends of mine that uh, were from the UK said, oh, you picked up a, a, an English accent. And as you can hear, I've lost it pretty soon. Uh, but I think it's a good idea, even in this case, to um, try and mimic that accent. And ideally, you can turn it on and off. Maybe if you are in Welsh, you can try and use your Welsh accent, your newly acquired Welsh accent. But yeah, yeah, I think it is a good idea in general to try and imitate. Imitation is a very important language learning tool. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Well, we're getting to the end of our episode already. Yeah, but we're not done here, especially with Esperanto, because in our after show, we'll test ourselves with mm. some phrases in Esperanto just to see if... Rita, a native French speaker with multiple <laughs> languages, and Raphael, an Italian native speaker, um, will be able to understand any of that without studying at all. And if you want to have access to that after show, you can just support us and become a member. And you have to go to easy-languages.org slash podcast. Everything is explained in there. Thank you for listening and talk next week. Talk next week. Talk next week.